0: I love the Christmas story. I I have to say, I think one of my favorite parts in the Christmas story has to be when the angels appear to the shepherds. I I suppose because I imagine it as a movie in my mind and it cracks me up every time. So I think about these regular working class guys just doing their shift out in the fields, keeping watch. And suddenly the angels appear and, uh, you know, the first thing the angel says is, don't be afraid. Seems like whenever angels appear in the Bible, they're always telling people, don't be afraid. They must, I don't know what they look like, but it's probably not like fat little babies with wings, because they're always saying, don't be afraid. But then all the angels appear, and that's even even freakier, and they start singing, a, you know, a great song, you know, just think of the majesty of the choir song we just heard, and it must have been like that, except, you know, up to 11 or something, just a lot louder and more powerful. And, and as they're singing to the shepherds, they're singing glory to God in the highest. And then that line, on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. So not just don't be afraid, but peace, singing God's peace. And I just want to think with you for a few moments about peace tonight. It's one of those words that we use sometimes, we say peace, but you know, it's such an elusive thing. It's something we celebrate this time of year. We celebrate peace. It's, uh, it's kind of a cultural association between Christmas, the holidays, and peace. You know, we have these kind of images of peace at this time of year. We think of a big snowy day. I don't know, kids, if you guys ever... Uh, we, we haven't had a, any snow yet this year, but you have a nice snowy day where it's really deep. Don't you love to go right outside right after it snows and be the first person to make tracks in the snow? And You know how when you go outside on a snowy day... It's like it's, it's quiet, you know, it, it, and actually, I, I guess there's something uh, physically about the properties of new fallen snow that's a sort of a limited time thing where it actually dampens sound. And so you go out there in the woods and you listen, it's like sound is being absorbed and, and there's just peace, you know. Hopefully tonight, this is a time of peace for you. I, I hope that your shopping is done. Uh, if not, uh, we'll pray for you. Um, <laughs> I hope your cooking is done, There's probably a little bit left, and all the wrapping and decorating is done. You know, it's, just, it's great to kind of come to a service like this or, or at some church someplace and just celebrate the peace of having kind of everything done, you know. Ah, we can finally rest and be done with it. As you look at the biblical story, that theme of peace is there. It's not just a cultural association. It's right there in the story of Jesus. You know, Jesus, as we read at the very beginning of our service in that responsive reading, uh, the prophet Isaiah in the Hebrew Scriptures prophesies the Messiah and calls him the Prince of Peace. And Jesus was the Prince of Peace. Not only was he born in a stable, like uh, a little baby being held in the manger. I mean, what's more peaceful than that? A a sleeping baby. It's such a beautiful image the way the story starts. But his whole life he taught peace. He taught us to love our enemies. Wow. (laughs) Love your enemies. I mean, it's like, really? Love my enemies? He said, if someone strikes you on one cheek, give them the other one. He said, pray for those who persecute you. If someone is after you, you're supposed to pray for them. Like, wow, this is not how the world functions. He had a different way about him. He was the Prince of Peace. Even when he was about to go to the cross and and he was being arrested, and one of his followers, Peter, yanked out a sword and took a swipe at one of the guys arresting Jesus and cut his ear off, you know, Jesus said, Stop it. Just put your sword away. You know? Don't you guys know if I wanted to, I could call down angels like this and just, you know, zap the whole place? But I didn't come for that. I didn't come to judge. He came for peace. He came for a different purpose and a different mission. So Jesus is the Prince of Peace, and we celebrate his peace here. But that raises a question, so what happened? Where did everything go wrong? I mean, Jesus came. The angel said, peace on earth toward men. Uh, we, We celebrate peace. We want peace. And yet we look at the world today, and outside of kind of the bubble of the Christmas Eve service, we realize the world is not a place full of peace there is war, there is conflict, uh, North Korea versus South Korea, Northern Sudan versus Southern Sudan, uh, Syrians all against one another. And, and you know, you can change the names of the countries, they change from century to century, the people groups change, the things they're fighting over change. But this is a world that ever since the time of Christ has still continued to be filled with conflict and, and, and uh, you know, you say, where's the peace? Where is world peace? If it came from heaven, it didn't seem to stick very well. Um, We think about our own country, and and our hearts uh, continue to grieve for the people of Connecticut tonight. We continue to think of them, and and just, you know, think of those families who have presents under the tree with tags for kids who won't open presents. Just those little moments like that. um, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) It's just, it's too big. It's too hard to kind of get my mind around that kind of evil and, and pain. And that's still going on in the world today. We don't even have to look that far, though. We don't have to look at the headlines. We can just look at our own families, our own relationships. You know, I, I don't know how it is in schools today. Maybe all the schools have changed, kids. But when I was in school, there was all these different groups, and they didn't really like each other. You know, there were the, the jocks and the, the cool kids, and, and, and there were the, uh, you know, the... The, the rich kids with the nice clothes, and I actually was never a part of any of those groups. I was the one who was trying to avoid those groups. But, but, you know, different groups bickering with each other, at each other. It happens in the workplace. We don't seem to grow up. There's office politics. There's gossip. There's maneuvering and positioning. There's conflict. Some of us tomorrow will have multiple Christmases. We'll go to one person's house for Christmas. In the family, then we got to go to another person's house. You know, that just stinks, doesn't it? No one plans that. No one sets out in life saying, I'm going to end up in that place. But just, it's the world in which we live. There's a lack of peace. Even in our own hearts, as we look inside of ourselves, you know, you, you want to feel good. But sometimes, at a time like this, it's painful. I know many people at Christmas, what they feel is loneliness. They feel grief the first Christmas or second Christmas without somebody it's, it's a, uh, a feeling of anxiety over finances, anxiety over things in our lives. And you'd think Christmas the is a time supposed to make us feel better, but instead, sometimes, ironically, it's the very holidays themselves that kind of stir up the anxiety and the pain. And So you just wonder, where, where is the peace that Christ promised if he's the Prince of Peace? Maybe he really didn't bring peace. Maybe Jesus is more like a, I don't know, symbol or something, kind of like George Washington historical figure, but who we've kind of taken to be a symbol of, I don't know, America and independence. Maybe Jesus is like that, a historical figure. We know that he walked planet earth from, the, from history, but maybe we've kind of built a mythology around him and around the Christmas story to kind of help us, I, I don't know, aspire to something greater. Not that he really brought anything, but we kind of put pin our hopes there and use him to embody that. Maybe that's what it is. I just want to encourage you tonight and let you know that Jesus really did come to bring peace, that he really did bring peace, that it's still here, and that it actually is growing in the world today. But you've got to know where to look for it. And so I just want to look really quickly to understand the peace that Christ brought. That, that he brought. I want to think about the, the peace that Jesus brought into this world And to realize it is fundamentally a peace between us and God. And so I want to look at just one verse with you. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you're um, kids here, you'll look in the pew rack in front of you, you'll see a black Bible. Take that Bible out. And I just want to show you one verse, and then we'll sing a few more hymns, a few more carols. Look at page 1145, 1145. I just want to show you this one verse that kind of explains... The peace that Jesus brought. What kind of peace was it? If peace really did come from heaven to earth that day in Christ, the Messiah, what kind of peace was it? And what we see here is it was a peace between us and God. Look at 2 Corinthians 5, verse 19. All right, and it says that God... Here we go. God was reconciling... The world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. So when Jesus came, there was a peace treaty being made. There was peace being made, but it was not between people and people, it was between God, the Creator, and us, His creation. You know, it says there that in Christ, God was reconciling. You know, what does reconcile mean? It means two people who are at enmity, two people who are at odds, two people who are in a fight, who won't talk to each other, and they're brought back together and reconciled, and all the old differences are put aside. And that's what God was doing in Jesus. He was coming into this world to reconnect us to him, to reconcile the creator with the creation, us with our maker and you say, well, I, I, didn't know, I didn't know there was a problem. I, uh, I didn't know that, you know, I had a problem with God. I, I guess there is. Well, what's the problem? Why is, why is there a space or a distance between us and God? And you see it right there in the verse. He was not counting men's sins against them. There's this biblical idea. It's the idea of sin. And you say, what's sin? You know, it's, sin is is us not living the way God made us to be. You know, God made you. God created you, and he created you for a purpose. He created you to know him, to love him, to worship him, and to be used by him in the world, to love others and to do his will. But the story of the human race, the tragic story, is that the humanity said, no, thank you. We're going to do it our way. We're going to create our own morality. We're going to create our own purpose, our own spirituality, our own religion. We're going to live on our terms. And so into the world has come selfishness and all of those things that create a lack of peace. You know, why don't we have peace in the world? You ever wonder that? Well, why isn't it here? Where is, why is there such a lack of it? And what we see is that it's our sin, it's within us. The reason there's a lack of pieces in the world isn't because we have failed yet to create a perfect government. Like, it's us. We carry it with us wherever we go. It's in our hearts. That's why nations can change, and it can be a different job or a different family, and those same stresses are there within human relationships because sin is there, you know? I've said this before in, uh, in other settings, but I'll, I'll just mention it again. You know, one of the reasons I really do believe in sin is because I have four children. Um, <laughs> it's always amazed me, and I've said this before, I've never had to teach my kids to do the wrong thing. I never taught my kids to lie. I never taught them to be manipulative. I never taught them to hit. I never had to teach them to steal or to use each other. I just know how to do that. You know, what are parents always doing? They're always saying, no, 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 do the right thing. Do the right thing. And even as I as a parent struggle to do the right thing. It's just our, our nature. We're made in the image of God, but that image has been hijacked by a godless focus. And so we live in a world where there is conflict and brokenness and pain, and sometimes even it comes to points of great evil and great atrocity, because the root problem is that we've turned... Our back's on God and his laws. We are away from him. People sometimes say, if there's really a God, then why is there so much bad stuff in the world? Why doesn't God just go, zap it? You know, if I was God, that's what I would do. Bzz, zap all the bad stuff and leave all the good. And you know, if God did that, the problem is like, you wouldn't be here. <laughs> and neither would I. I'd be the first one to go. The amazing story of the Bible is that God has withheld the zap. He's holding it back. And he's giving instead a way out. His son. He's given his son to reconcile us. He's given the Messiah. The Messiah of Israel who is also the Savior of the world. And he's come to reconcile us to him. You say, how did he do it? How does this reconciliation take place? Look at verse 21. This is how God has done it. This is how he's made it so that our sins don't count against us. God made him who had no sin. That's Jesus the Messiah. Jesus had no sin. He's the only dude who ever got it all right. He's the only guy who kept the Torah, who kept God's laws who walked in perfect love with God and perfect love for humanity. That's why you know he's the only guy who went around actually loving his enemies. It's, it's amazing who he is. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him, through faith in him, we might become the righteousness of God. It, it's like, uh, I don't know, the only, this is a lame analogy, but it's like one of those Christmas cookie swaps. I, I love Christmas cookie swaps. Well, okay, I'll put it this way. I love when my wife goes to Christmas cookie swaps, <laughs> and she comes back with like all these cookies, you know, and it, it was a swap, except it wasn't a cookie swap, it wasn't something like that. It was like a, a righteousness swap. Christ, the perfect, obedient person, God with us, became sin on the cross and absorbed the zap that we deserve so that... Through faith in Him, we might receive His righteousness and become acceptable in God's sight. And so to be right with God, to be reconciled by your Creator, is not accomplished through New Year's resolutions. It's not saying this year I'm going to change my ways and I'm going to get better. It's by saying, God, I need your gift. It's receiving the gift of Christ in whom we can stand before God. And so Jesus came to deal with the root problem. He's like a, like a great physician or a great surgeon. He does just deals with the symptoms. He's going down to the root problem, which is our relationship with God. And by making peace there, he plants the seeds for peace in the world. Because the thing is, once you have peace with God, once that root cause is altered, it begins to sort of pulse out into your life. You, you start to have peace inside your own heart. You know, it's, it's not that all of your problems go away, but you find peace. And even though you may have anxiety or discouragement, th- there's a peace from God that, that begins to kind of push against that and push that out over time. You, you, you start to become an agent of God's peace in your relationships. So when you go to your different, you know, family dysfunctions tomorrow, family functions, and, you know, and pe- people are trying to kind of drink their way through the holidays just to medicate out of it, you know, you, you can be there a different presence. You can be an agent of God's peace. You, we can be what God originally made us to be, which is his servants in the world, his people. And even beyond that, we can go out into the workplace. You, you can go to your jobs and whatever you do in the world and be used as an agent of God for, for justice and for compassion and for righteousness in society. You know, and and even, it's like world peace. Is that possible? Like, You know, I don't believe world peace is going to happen until Christ comes back, but I do believe there can be more peace in the world before he comes back, and that happens as people one by one who are reconciled to God go into the world as his agents to bring peace. You know, I think about this church. Uh, So many of you are, are guests here tonight, and we're really glad that you're here and glad you came out. And, uh, and I also think about the members of this church. And, you know, one of the cool things about being a pastor in this church I love is I just love looking out on Sunday morning and seeing the different people. And I see, I see rich people and I see poor people. And I see New Englanders and I see transplants from the South. And, and I see people who've told me they've voted Republican and I see other people who are clear they voted Democrat. And I see white people and black people and Asian people and Middle Eastern people and Latino people and, and I see, you know, uh, Red Sox fans, and I think that we even have one Yankee fan who's, <laughs> whose name shall remain anonymous. Um, and I just think, like, what, how, how can that be? You know, how do all these people be, how are they all together? How, how are they both Jews and Gentiles in the church? All these things that should divide us, God is bringing together, not perfectly yet, it's certainly not world peace in our lifetime, but I feel like when the church is being the church, it, it's a foretaste of the future when Christ will come and bring, it, bring peace to the world and we will beat our swords into plowshares. And God can do that by his power. He is doing that. Because when you stand at the foot of the cross, everything is level. When you stand at the foot of the cross, you realize We are all just sinners in need of a Savior. And when you're all gathered there at the foot of the cross, it just kind of wipes out all the dumb pretensions that we would claim as justification for dividing with one another. And so even in Christ, there is hope of peace someday. So, as he says in verse 20, we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, and some of you I don't even know, but I just want to say, I implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Let's pray. Oh God, I thank you that you love us so much. You love us so much that you even sent your own Son to come and bear the the judgment, the zap that we deserve so that we could be forgiven. Thank you, God, that our slates, no matter how dirty, no matter what our rap sheet is, no matter what our prison record might be, no matter what our driving history might be, no matter who we are, Lord, there can be forgiveness through Christ. Thank you for Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to be reconciled to you and that as we're reconciled to you, that your reconciling power might begin to move out through us individually and collectively into the world. Oh God, we don't understand everything in the world today, but we thank you that Jesus is here. And Lord, we pray for his peace to continue to grow in the quiet way it does, as people one by one are drawn back to him. And we pray this in Christ's name, amen.